Hey, this is Mark Patterson back with another great episode of Finding Your Summit, all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way. And this week, I was so pumped to be broadcasting from one of my favorite towns on the planet, Sun Valley, Idaho. And I had the good fortune of interviewing a sweet soul, Perry Jones Grossman. And Perry is somebody who used to work as a reporter for the show E! Entertainment and also Entertainment Tonight. And she did that for over 10 years. And so we go through a lot of her adversity. She was married to a very famous director in Hollywood and lived that Hollywood lifestyle. And at the end of the day, it was not the life for her. And so she ultimately moved off to Sun Valley and where she really found herself. And she's been through a whole lot and we go through it all. She's also been involved in the Special Olympics, and she's also been involved in various wellness institutes. She was a TED Talk speaker. She also spent some time with the Dalai Lama, and we go through that, and it's very, very incredible. So she is now living in Sun Valley. She has been for quite some time as a personal coach, and she's working on how to better other people's lives, and anytime anybody's doing that, that's incredible. So... With that note, remember, please always go in to rate, review. It really helps. It helps with the visibility and the really broadcasting that news out to people who need to hear these great messages from people like Perry, okay? So if you want to hear anything from me, what's going on, my climbs, my public speaking, social media following, any of that kind of stuff, markpattisonnfl.com, and you can get all that information. So with that note, let's get on with Perry. Here we go. Hey, it's Mark Patterson back again with another great episode of Finding Your Summit. And once again, I'm pumped up because I'm in one of my favorite, most magical places on the planet, and that is Sun Valley. And I'm so honored and grateful to have Perry Jones Grossman on the pod today. We've got some really amazing things to talk about, I think, as we get into this. And a lot of it is going to be along the lines of a spiritual journey. So first thing, Perry, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you're here because I get to do this in this beautiful valley and look at this incredible view. Well, as you know, because you've been here now for over five years, right? 20 years. 20 years. Okay. So 20 years and five years in this particular home here. But certainly, you know that this valley is magical in many different ways. Yes. Right? And I've been coming here since I was 19 years old. So, I mean, it's been a long time. I taught my kids how to ski here. And one of the reasons why I keep getting drawn back to Sun Valley is because of the magical energy, I think, that it feeds within the valley here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's known as a healing place. I mean, the energy vortexes from the mountain is probably just as strong as Sedona. So a lot of people come here for healing. A lot of people come here. They don't even know why. They're just drawn to this place. And as you sit down and talk to people from all over the world, they start sharing what happened to them and transitions and healings and their journeys. So I think they move here because they're called here. Hmm. And that seems to be a lot of stories with a lot of people. So why did you move here 20 years ago? I came here 25 years ago when I was married. And we had a second home here. So I was living in Los Angeles. And we had a really terrible divorce. And we'd been trying to have kids for about five years. And I just couldn't get pregnant. So my husband came home and said, that's it. Marriage is over. 
you can't have children. I was 39 years old. And I thought, wow, okay, what do I do now? I had an emotional breakdown. I moved back to Texas with my parents for a couple months. And I just prayed. I was probably at the lowest I've ever been. I went through so many fertility drugs. I mean, my whole system, Mark, was completely screwed up. Do you think it was the stress and the anxiety of wanting to get pregnant and you couldn't, so you're feeling more pressure in that way? I mean, was that part of it? That was part of it, but there was also the physical part. I was in a coma for a week because we took out too many embryo transitions. And so I just, I'm one of these determined people. So I told my doctor, okay, let's do this every other month, which is unheard of. And so it basically wore me down. And I got down to about 90 pounds. And I just felt like I've always been a positive person and someone that could beat the odds and pull my big girl panties on and start again. But this time was different. I had a harder time. So I really did have a spiritual and mental and a physical breakdown. Hmm. So you're going through all this stuff, right? And then what was the trigger then that led you to coming to Idaho? I wanted to get out of LA, number yeah. one. My dad made a comment. He's a great Texan. And he's like, honey, you've turned into something I don't even know. It's part of the identity that I was doing. I was in the business and I was all around movie business and the film business. And so I started taking on those layers and I lost myself. So I wanted to come to a totally different area. What does that mean you're taking on layers? I was like, I put on so many layers of inauthenticity. I put on layers of not even knowing who I was anymore. I lost myself and I felt like I wasn't grounded. I was in this city. I had stopped working in the business. I was married to a well-known movie producer. I lived this fake LA life, if you will. And I didn't know who Perry was anymore. And I'm from Texas. Texan is very grounded. You know, I'm used to that. My parents were really grounded. And I needed to get to a place where I could peel the onion, start peeling back and figuring out who am I? What was my purpose? I mean, it was pretty dark where I don't even talk about this very often, but I was in a lot of drugs, taking a lot of drugs, fertility drugs and some other drugs. And the night that my husband came home and said that the marriage was over, I'd just gotten out of the hospital. I looked at about five bottles of pills sitting in front of me, sleeping pills, pain pills, mood-altering pills. And I decided, you know what? I don't have it in me to start over again, which is the darkest place I've ever been. So I took all of those bottles of pills. And I remember laying down in our movie theater room and just going to sleep, saying, you know what? I can't do this. This is too much. Hours later, I found myself in our bed and I was throwing up. I mean, it, my husband was over there in front of me and helping me and I was throwing up, throwing up. Called an ambulance, took me back to the hospital. They pumped my stomach. And when I had some kind of memory of what had happened, I was shocked that I had that kind of low point where I didn't even think two seconds about it. So I understand how people can get into that darkness really quickly. And for that moment and that emotion, which is right there in that instant decision, you make some stupid mistakes. And I felt like God gave me another chance brought me back to life, even though I knew I was going to go through a tough divorce and I wanted to start over. So I thought I loved Idaho when we came here and I loved the beauty and I felt the energy and I felt like this is where I could find my soul again. So I moved here two months afterwards and I stayed on the floor. I would take a walk. You know what? I'd like to learn how to ski. I was 39 years old. And I went up on that mountain and I decided that was my job is to heal, to ski, to go out into nature and just find my spirit again. 
So I also found some amazing friends who were very authentic and who I could sit there and just put my head down and say, I need some help, which I was never very good at asking for help, by the way. I was always the strong girl who could handle things. But in that moment, I couldn't. That story resonates a lot with me for a number of different reasons. You know, a number of years ago, seven, eight years ago, I was going through a very rough time. And that's when I, we had moved from Seattle, where I know everybody, down to Los Angeles. And my ex, and she's a good person, but we weren't connecting in any of the right ways. And it was just a very dark and lonely place for me. And I had those moments of reflection of what's my value on this earth. Yeah. And that's a scary place to be. Fortunately, I never did anything about that, which is great. But still, it was a kind of a moment of truth and trying to like dig out from the emotional hurt and everything else that goes along with that. And you talk about moving to Sun Valley and really being connected with the mountains, the air, the trees, the people. And for me, it, that was at the point of kind of me realizing that what I needed to do is go out and do something great. I needed to find my purpose. And so for me, I found the mountain. And so in that mountains, one of the things that's been very wonderful about that place for me in some of these remote locations that I go to around the world in my climbing is that there's no cell phone. There's no internet. So I'm out there for weeks at a time with no communication to the outside world except with the people within that group. And it's a very grounding experience, right? Right. And you've got no distractions. What's going back? And it takes me, it took me at least three or four days to kind of like get through that, right? Before I kind of re-entered and like, this is totally cool. This is the way to be. And there's no distractions. And then your mind kind of shifts from all the junk mm -hmm. to becoming very clear about your path forward and what you should be doing. And that's what happened to me. I can't believe where I'm at today, six years later with a bunch of these mountains down. But more importantly how I've been able to grow and meet new, wonderful, amazing people and start a podcast and really broadcast my message and journey of others through what they've gone through. So it's actually been a gift. Yes. Right? Somebody would have told me a while ago that, Mark, you had to go through that junk to actually receive that gift. I would have never believed them. But transition. So, transition. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm so grateful for that. Well, I understand that completely. You mentioned disconnecting from a lot of social media, from the phones, from all the busyness. I work with teenagers and I work with people in counseling, and that's where a lot of depression happens. And it was something that I realized I was doing in L.A. I had stopped connecting with the real world. I'd stopped connecting with nature. I was keeping my head down, not connecting with other people. And I think that we get a lot of our help and a lot of our strength from other people. And being able to be truthful and not be ashamed of any stigma on how you're feeling and just say, hey, you know what? This is what's going on with me. And I think more and more people, if they would do that, they would meet other people who've been going through the same thing. And that's where we get our strength from, is from one another. Well, sure. I mean, it's just all about being authentic, right? right? I mean, right. I think you mentioned that word kind of out of the gate. And I'll tell you what, I'm over 50 now, and, and it took me really at least those 50 years to finally figure out, and this happened on one of the mountains I was on, and the more vulnerable I was, actually, the more strength I exuded. And being 6'2", 200 pounds, and playing, having played in the NFL... I don't know why I ever shied away from that. Like somebody would think less of me because I wasn't as truthful or out there. Again, it's been another one of those realizations that this bolt of lightning hit me in the head and I figured out late in life. But again, it's been another one of those lessons and blessings that has come my way. So question for you is, I know that you worked for, what, 10 years or something for entertainment? 
I work for Entertainment Tonight and Entertainment Television. Okay. And so I would think, and again, I'm just, I'm projecting here, but you're on that show, on those shows, and you're getting a lot of self-gratification from like, hey, Perry, great to see you out there. Great interview with Tom Cruise or whoever you right. were interviewing, right? right? And so that going back to that moment that you're in Texas and you're looking at those pills or maybe that was mm-hmm. in LA, mm-hmm. where was the disconnect between who you were and what you had become? That's a really good question. And it was something I noticed when I moved here to Idaho. My identity was being on camera, people knowing me. That's where I received a lot of love. So performance, it became performance oriented. If I acted this way, if I looked this way, obsessing about the perfect body, the perfect face, the perfect hair. I mean, that was all there was for me. And I had a spiritual background. I'd been through quite a bit in my childhood. But I had not really learned to love myself. And what did that mean? What did that mean for me to be able to have healthy boundaries with people and to be able to be strong enough to say, you know, I'm not going to put my body through all those fertility treatments. I really want to have a child, but am I willing to throw myself away, right? Just to be loved. It was just to be loved and to be told that you're valuable. And of course, I married a famous movie producer, because the more famous he was, and the more successful he was, then that person, if he said that he loved me, and he married me, well, I must be pretty great. Mm -hmm. But I lived according to what others thought of me, not what I thought of me. That's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be. And I didn't learn that either until I was in my 50s. But it's never too late. And it's something that I work with women and teenagers about is what is your self worth? Do you know what it's like to have self-love and to really love yourself without anybody else's input? You can just stand alone, take that throne instead of beside it, in front of it, behind it, with somebody. No, you take that throne by yourself because it's the throne of your life. And I didn't learn how to do that until about three years ago. It's a mental shift, right? It is, yeah. And trying to put, like you said, that focus on getting your gratification through somebody else versus the things that are important to you. And so what strategies then would you have your advice for somebody, right, who's going through this? I mean, how do you get them to shift from others to themselves to love yourself first in order to really thrive in life? I think the biggest lesson that I learned, I just finished a master's degree in spiritual psychology at University of Santa Monica in LA, graduated about a year and a half ago. And I'd done a lot of healing in my life. I thought I did a lot of forgiveness. That's where I said I thought. And what I realized is no matter how much work I did, I never felt like I could get rid of that feeling of unforgiveness for my mom, for a lot of things that happened, unforgiveness for a friend, or I would let any outside experience, person, place, or situation affect me and really get me upset. So those triggers. And I heard that when you learned how to take care of yourself and love yourself, those triggers don't hit so much. So the first thing I did that I share with a lot of people that I coach is, number one, we identify what is it that is the most lacking in you? We go straight for the vulnerability. How do you figure that out? You know what you can do is you can look around at your outside life. What does it look like? So somebody comes to me and they say, hey, life is good. It's wonderful. And I feel fabulous. And then I ask some questions. Well, tell me about how your finances How is your job? How is your career? Do you know what your meaning of life is? What are your passions? How are your relationships? And if I start hearing things, well, my relationships aren't so great, not really making the money that I want to make, or my direction in life is pretty low, they're not okay. 
Because whatever your inner reality is the world that you create. Yeah. So we are co-creators. Yeah, but so many people float on that surface level, right? And it drives me crazy, right? It's not when, real. How you doing? Great. What's going on? I mean, you go through all this stuff that you really haven't said anything at the end of that wheel. Right, exactly. So you get people to be, first of all, let them know that you really have to take, be the one to take responsibility for your own life. It's not that life happens to you. Life in the universe is conspiring for you to have an amazing life and for you to believe that. And I listen also to how people talk. How do they talk about themselves? How do they talk about others? What do they think about? What do they feel? Because I know all of those triggers is what really starts the behaviors. So if someone tells me, well, I think this and I believe this, but their life doesn't show it, I know they're not telling me the truth. Because yeah. it always is in alignment when those things are in alignment. What I had to do is figure out, because I heard the phrase so often, well, you need to love yourself. Me being a good codependent girl, I would sit there and think, love myself. Well, that's kind of selfish. Shouldn't I be thinking about others and be in service with other people? And I should really be last. That's how I was raised. And what I learned, it started with a simple thing, even when they tell us on the airplanes, what do we have to do? The mask goes on us first, and then we can help others. So I've realized it's not a selfish act. It's something that is imperative for everybody to start taking care of their own lives. Another thing that we do is a tool, start writing down, what are all the things and acts or beliefs that are limiting beliefs that are keeping us from really being successful in life? And who are we not forgiving? So people will make a list of that and they'll say, list the things that you're not forgiving yourself. Because there's a spiritual tool that's so important. It's compassionate self-forgiveness. And you'll be surprised how when you talk about forgiveness, people go crazy. They either defend it, say, well, I'm not going to forgive that person. That person did this to me and did this and this and this, you know, make a whole big thing. So therefore, I'm not going to do it. And it only hurts them. Or they'll say, I have forgiven. I have forgiven. And you ask a little bit deeper questions. And then what you realize, they haven't forgiven themselves for something. Usually starts with family trauma. To be honest with you, when you meet with somebody and you talk about what they're feeling and they have a moment where that limiting belief started, it usually started with an event that happened when they were a child. And so uncovering that, taking care of that inner child, believing that inner child deserves better. And sometimes we as adults, we don't think we deserve better because we judge ourselves, right? Well, you did this, you're not that great here and you're blah, blah, blah. But if you can switch that and say, but what does my six-year-old deserve? What is that little inner child inside of me? What does she deserve? What does he deserve? Then it's easier to go in and touch that vulnerability. Yeah. Well, I think you have to be very brave to go do that, right? I mean, for guys and girls. And I don't know if you find women easier because they're more emotionally available than men. But I mean, I think that's the bottom line. We've all gone through stuff. It's just a matter of who's willing to talk about it and who's willing to really go out there and heal. Yes. You know what I found? And this is so surprising. I thought my private practice was going to be primarily with women. And what I have found, I'm dealing with teenage boys. So I have about eight clients right now, four of them. Which have no idea how to express themselves, right? They don't, but they want to and they're open. And usually people come to me when they're in pain. Pain is what transitions all of us. We never transition in life to be better if we're having a great old jolly time right? We're like, well, life is good. I don't need some work. I'm okay. But when we have an incident or an event that hits that painful spot, that's when we know we got to get some help and work through it. 
Actually, to be honest with you, I find young adult men and teenage boys are just as open as the girls are. And that surprised me. Yeah, that's great. So what is a spiritual psychologist? (laughs) Is that a particular religion base? Or is that like the whole universe? Or what is that? I describe it for me. So I'm what I call a soul-centered life coach. And I'm not a psychologist. Soul-centered means when you're working on yourself, sometimes we have labels that we carry. I'm an alcoholic. I'm codependent. We put all these very challenging labels on us. And we tend to treat the symptoms. We tend to treat, okay, we're going to detox you here. All right, and we're going to send you on your way. We're going to just help this situation here and send you over here. If you have an eating disorder, well, we're going to help you how to figure out your diet. Soul-centered means you pull the Band-Aid off. Has Anybody who has an eating disorder has nothing to do with their eating disorders. It has everything to do with their self-worth, has everything to do with the pain, the sense of control. It's pretty much that way in everything. So I go for the Band-Aid pull-off, and I go for the core, because our souls are perfect. We already are radiant, beautiful beings, as we are, right? We get mixed up in our ego, our limiting beliefs, some of these thoughts and experiences that have molded us into a certain way, but it's not who we are. And I believe we can get back to that radiant, wonderful, loving place, to our core, when we deal with some of those limiting beliefs and they go away, you can change behaviors, you can change addictions. And it's pretty incredible. We do brain health work and tools and techniques that help with that. You can actually change the neural pathways and give them a different message. CBT therapy is the same way. Our brains are extremely powerful. If you look at an athlete, my kids, for example, they're at the top of the mountain and they've memorized a course. And you'll see them at the top of the mountain, they'll close their eyes and they just, they have it memorized in their head. Do you know their brain has no idea whether they're actually running the course or not? So the visualization is just as powerful as you're actually doing it. Yeah. Well, listen, that happened to me. I was very fortunate to be winning side of many last second touchdowns in college and in the NFL. And the thing that was about that is some people said I was lucky, and what they didn't know is the hours and hours and hours, not only of practice, but of the visualization of making that. I mean, I literally did that in my sleep all the time. Wow. Yeah. So by the time that actually happened, I just realized my dream, my vision board that created years before. It was really amazing. Yeah, that's so, powerful. Okay, this spiritual journey sounds like it's taking you on a just an amazing path. And one of the things I read had to do with you had a conference here where the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. was here to speak to kids, where yes. he speak to somebody, everyone, everyone yeah. the world, right? <laughs> I mean, I've seen him. I've seen him. He's amazing. He is amazing. Yeah. So what was that like? When I saw him in Seattle at the Seattle Center, Key Arena, right? So it was just one of 10,000 people out there just watching him up on stage, and it was great. My sense is that you actually interacted with him. Yes, His Holiness, and I had such an amazing experience with him. So explain what that whole thing was about, and then what your interaction was. That was part of a spiritual lesson for me without me even knowing it. So when I recreated myself here in Idaho, you know, I became a mother. I did have my two amazing miracle children after all. Yeah. And in my 40s, so I'm an older mom, but (laughs) they keep me young, you know, and the wisdom that I have now, thank God, I think about in my 40s, I don't know if I would have been so great. But I reinvented myself. And so what happened is I started getting into the events business, but I always loved some kind of a spiritual interaction. 
So a friend of mine, Kirill Sokoloff, who lives here part-time, called me and he said, listen, I'm bringing in His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, for a 9-11. It was the year anniversary. This was in 2005. And I want you to help me put together all the VIP dinners and some of the fundraising and all of that. And I said, wow, okay. But no, I wasn't really interested about that. So I said, let me think about it. I went home that night. I had a dream and what I envisioned, because I said, raising money, being around VIPs, taking care of their jets, that was just not my deal. That was a whole other world. I thought, what could be meaningful? So I went to sleep, had this dream, and I saw kids from all over the state in buses. And they were coming to Wood River Valley Stadium, where we were going to hold a five-day conference event. And I saw kids standing up and talking with His Holiness about what compassion looks like. Because His Holiness, he's the Dalai Lama of compassion. Yeah. And so this vision was so powerful in me. The next morning I woke up and I thought, oh my gosh, we got to do a children's day. We have to do a children's day. And so I ran over to Kirill's house and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll help you with all the VIP dinners if I can produce this children's day. So I told him about it and he said, that's amazing. So we ran this contest for kids all in the state to write in, and we had a panel, read essays about what compassion looked like for them. And we got hundreds of them, and so we could only pick five boys and five girls. And we actually took them on the plane, went and picked up His Holiness in India, and brought them over, and he could only pick one boy and one girl. So we planned all this, and I was at the airport when he was coming in with his monks, and I'm standing there next to Carol and all this, and he walks out, and he's got all of these papers in his hand. So Lama Tenzin, who is his main lama, is taking care of him, came up to me, and he said, Your Holiness, this is Perry. She did the Children's Day. And he grabbed me and gave me a big kiss on my forehead, and he had all these kids' uh, compassion essays in his hand. And he said, this is going to be my favorite day. And he says, however, I can't just pick one boy, one girl. I'm going to bless them all. And I started laughing. He says, I want to meet them all. And he gives this white scarf, which is a blessing scarf, and it's called the kata. And so we produced a day where the kids actually read part of their essays, and they came on stage one by one so His Holiness could meet them. And he gave them a blessing. And the stories that we heard, everything from a young girl who's in junior high and her brother was going through drug problem, the cops came to his house to arrest him. Well, his parents were there and his sister was there and the brother came out and he went into his pocket. Cops thought it was a gun and they shot him. So this little girl was writing an essay about how do I forgive? How can I forgive? How can your compassion forgive? So he met with each one of those 20 kids and shared with him his story and talked about how nothing can be so great, it's so painful, but there's always the power of forgiveness and having compassion for people. And when I spent that week with him and I saw he lived what he talked about, we became friends and then we ended up doing the Seattle event from Sun Valley. And then we went to San Francisco and did another event. And then he was the one that encouraged me to had a dream about putting on the Special Olympics World Games here, yeah. the Winter Games. I want to hear about that. And I thought, how oh, we can't do this. And he was the one that said, you can do anything. This is right if this is something that you want to do and it helps everybody. This can be done. So he gave me that sense of believing whatever's in the greatest good and the highest good of all can be done. And you only need one voice. And I think that was the beginning of my journey of realizing how powerful we are and how one voice can make a difference in the world. And I thought, if that doesn't teach me about self-worth, what will, right? Yeah. So that was the beginning of that path. We ended up going to India. I brought some friends over. He blessed them. 
He was just an important teacher in my life. And by the way, I'm a very strong Christian girl. So we would talk about religion and Buddhism. And I'd say, you know, Your Holiness, how can I meditate? I said, I have the hardest time keeping myself still and meditating. He looks at me and goes, I do too. It's like, okay, wait. <laughs> You're the Dalai Lama. What do you mean you have a problem meditating? And he says, no, I do. He says, I'm looking down and I'm thinking and my, all these thoughts in my head. And he said, and you know what I do? He says, I start thinking about how I could help other people. He says, because all those thoughts that we're so turmoiled up in, it's all about us, right? It's our list. It's our to-do things. It's our problems. He says, but when you start thinking about what you can do for others, he said, you breathe into it and then your soul comes in. He says, and then you go into meditation. And I thought, I'm going to try that. And he was right. So I said, I've learned quite a bit from Buddhism and what you've taught me. And he says, what are you? And I said, I'm Christian. He goes, I don't want you to be a Buddhist. He goes, I want you to be the best Christian you can be. His best friend at the time was Desmond Tutu, who was yeah. a great Christian. He says, they argue all the time. Yeah. He believes in God. I don't. And he says, but you know, we learn from one another. So that's where that power of oneness and the greatness of the human spirit really came to me was through him. Yeah. Well, a couple things. For me, religions, they have different paths on how you ultimately get to a higher place. You don't have to agree on them, but I think the commonality amongst each one have to do with this little thing called love and then forgiveness and all the other words that fit in that realm. And that's the world that I love to play in. And every place I'm trying to go to is towards the light, right? And by having forgiveness and love and compassion and being humble and grateful and all those great words, I think it can help you get to where you need to be. But the end result of all that is this inner peace about where you're at in terms of whatever your journey is on that. The other thing you mentioned about putting on the Olympics and also this kids event had to be with one voice right? One person. You start there. And I had this amazing soul on the other day, Mandy Harvey, and she's this deaf, beautiful singer that took fourth place in America's Got Talent. And so she was on my podcast. And I said to her, I go, weren't you petrified? Because she'd never done this before, right? I mean, mm -hmm. in terms of she'd done some little gigs and she'd been singing, she can't actually hear herself sing. I go, weren't you petrified when you're in I don't know where it was, Rockefeller Center or someplace where she had to get up and thousands of people and Simon Cowell and all the people in front, all the judges, millions of people watching on TV. And she goes, I didn't care if I placed first place or last place. I just want to get there and affect one person. Now, in her case, she blew up. She ended up being in the finalists and she's affected so many millions of people. They're afflicted with deafness or just any kind of uh, disability. So it was just a really incredible story to hear from her, kind of what her whole idea was, her intention when she went on that show. Yes, that's a powerful intention just to be in service to help. I hadn't really had any communication. I wasn't even around a lot of Special Olympic athletes. I wasn't around a lot of people that had intellectual disabilities. I was around some people who had some physical disabilities. And so when we first won the bid, and they I remember giving a speech, and I was excited that Idaho won the bid, and I said, we're so excited about helping these athletes from around the world. We had 3,000 athletes here from 150 countries. And you know, my vision at the beginning was how much we were going to help them. And someone whispered in my ear and afterwards, and they said, when you meet these athletes and spend time with them, it's you that's going to be helped all of us that are going to be helped by them. And I thought, wow. So I met them and they came here and they're so pure in their egos. There is no ego. They're so pure in who they are. 
And I remember there was this one event here in Sun Valley that was cross country. And there was this young girl from Ireland team. And she was supposed to be the favorite one. And all the press was here and everyone was expecting she was going to win the gold. And I was there and she came up to me. She goes, Mrs. Grossman, I'm so excited. And I said, I'm so excited for you too. And so she, right at the gate, she took a couple steps and she fell. And her equipment had some failures. She kept tripping. She stood up and everybody, you could hear them this, oh, you know, like this. And she kept doing that around the track, came in dead last. Now, in my trying to make her feel better, I go up to her and I'm trying to think, what can I say to this young girl? And she came running up to me and she says, Mrs. Grossman, Mrs. Grossman, did you see me get up? Did you see me get up? awesome. And I went, wow, there wasn't any excuses. My equipment was terrible. I had a bad day. I this or that. And it wasn't about the negative aspect. It was about what she achieved. Did you see me get up? And that was what was on the front page of the paper. Did you see me get up dead last with a big smile on her face? So I saw the greatness of the human spirit with those athletes that work so hard and they're so determined, but they're so happy inside of themselves. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what's going on out here. They've got the biggest smiles in their hearts and they show them and they're to help anybody and to encourage anybody. So that was another big lesson that out of that whole experience of what I learned. Yeah, you're talking about service and I was blessed to be invited down to Tanzania last year to raise a bunch of money and build water wells for the people of the Maasai tribe. And when we actually went out to some of these different tribes and the people came up and just showered us with gifts. I mean, think about this. I mean, we're sitting here in your beautiful home in Sun Valley and you can get up right now and walk 10 feet and you turn a little dial, right? And out comes water. No big deal. For them, they were celebrating. They were jumping up like Michael Jordan had just hit the last second Mm. in game seven against the Lakers. I mean, it was insane. And the point of all that is this little thing called service that you brought up, right? And the amount of, like, my joy that I got was like 50 times more than I was watching from them just because of I was able to help affect change. It wasn't just me, but the group of guys and women. And it was just so, I don't know, it's just like it really had a mega shift for me of not just donating because we've all donated, but actually putting my time in to go help. And then actually see this, what it does. These young girls no longer have to walk two miles Mm. down, get raped and everything else, bad stuff that happens and the impurity of the water and disease that comes with that, right? Mm -hmm. Now they can just go out and it's filtered and I mean, it's gushing water and everybody, I mean, it was like, it was incredible, right? Mm -hmm. So it was just a magical moment for me, what I was able to be involved in. So I want to ask you, shifting a little bit here, because I don't know anything about it other than that you were asked to do a TED Talk. Yes. Tell me about a TED Talk. Yes. I want to do a TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) You should do a TED Talk. Yeah. Okay, this is another. So I just shared with you about 20 years ago how an event took me down, and then I'm going on another journey, and I'm working with Ariana Huffington. I'm working with all these speakers. I led the Sun Valley wellness festival. And then I created one in Telluride, a wellness festival and created one in Sedona. And I'm telling you this for a reason. So everyone thought of me as the wellness girl. Well, six years ago, kind of going back to story. So I remarried when I came here and met a wonderful man. We had our two kids. And six years ago, after 16 years of marriage, it collapsed. And so I was on my way to another divorce. And a week after we split up, my father died unexpectedly. Now, my father was my everything. 
And I fell apart again and I couldn't sleep for days. And it was the most painful feeling I'd ever felt to lose him. And then here I'm losing my ex-husband, second one. So I had that feeling again of just feeling I couldn't get up. I was in bed. I had two little kids I had to take care of. And I could just muster enough to take him to school and then muster enough energy to pick him up. And I'd lay in bed and you're going to laugh, but I would eat chocolate bonbons and watch Oprah all day. <laughs> I swear to God, I started feeling good. And so what happens, I got addicted to sleeping pills. And for six years, I was taking Lunesta to go to sleep because it was a behavioral thing. I could take that little blue pill, 15 minutes, I'd be out and I'd be raring to go and go save the world again and be this wellness girl, right? And about a year ago, I noticed my brain was getting a little foggy. I couldn't remember things. I kept repeating things. My kids would say, mom, you already told me that. It's like, really? I'd go to my friends' houses and have dinner, wouldn't even be drinking, and came home. And the next morning, I couldn't remember how I got home. And so I got really, really scared. We had our Sun Valley Wellness Festival last year with Ariana Huffington here talking about sleep. She introduces me. I'm waving at everybody. We're talking about all this great stuff. But I hold a secret. And so I started doing some research and I thought, where can I go to get some help? Because I couldn't get off them by myself, could not get off the sleeping pills at all. So I found this place that I read that I loved because they not only detox you, but they do, like I said before, they take off the Band-Aid, give you new changes of behavior and some tools where that addiction goes away. You get some help. So I checked into an amazing place. It's called Seasons in Malibu, stayed there for a month. And they detoxed me, taught me new ways of tools and techniques, which is in the brain health, which I'd never done before. So I did the spiritual work. I did the emotional work. I hadn't really done the physical work because our bodies retain the trauma that happened to us. And that's usually how addictions happen because we want to forget, numb, do anything, whether it's over shopping, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, we need to numb because our bodies hold it. So these techniques are learned to let them go. So I came back home. So it's been nine months since I've not had any sleeping pills. I have no desire to have one, but I'm sharing the story because being completely authentic is a real courageous thing to do and to live in your life. Most of us don't. But when you come out on the other side and you do what you don't do, what we call a spiritual bypass, go around it, you go through it, you go through that pain, you say, I've got an issue, I can't live like this anymore, and I'm not willing to, and I'm willing to do the hard work. What you get on the other side is so much aliveness, and my purpose in life has doubled. I feel like I'm totally authentic. I have no secrets. I'm not hiding. I'm not depending on anything other than spirit and my own spiritual practice to have this amazing, beautiful life. But my girlfriends have come to me and said, I'm so glad you brought this up because the addiction to sleeping pills is rampant right now. All I can say is if anyone out there has that addiction, really think about it because it is cutting off your light, as you say. It cuts your life short and you're numb. And I think everybody deserves to have an awakened consciousness, an awakened life, and it can happen. There are tools out there that can help people. So this journey you just described, is that what your TED Talk was about? So yeah, getting back to the TED Talk. Sorry about that. Yeah, so no. part of my journey was they came to me and said, we'd love for you to do a TED Talk. And this is before I went to Seasons. And I thought, I can't remember anything. How am I going to remember a speech? 18 minutes, and you have to be restrained in this little circle. How am I going to remember this? 
And I said, okay, I'll do one. So what are you going to talk about? It's a whole other story, but I started a suicide prevention task force here because we have very high suicide rates in Blaine County. Surprises me, but... The whole new study came out where we found out that ski towns have the highest rates of suicide. And we're losing a teenager every two hours in this country. And every teenager we lose between 15 and 19, there's 100 to 200 attempts. So it's all depression. And it's social media. And it's, again, that I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Look at everybody else when it's all BS, right? So coming back to seasons, I sent in just kind of, okay, well, I'll talk about this. And what was almost a test for myself, I thought, can I really get my memory back? Can I do these tools and techniques? Get off the Lunesta. And I had three months to prepare this TED Talk right after I got back home. And it was the scariest thing in the world I've ever done. And I'm a speaker. I mean, I'm out there talking all the time. But the memorization, it was looming over me. And as you write your speech, they work with you. And you cannot go over that time. And if you can't have notes, it's just you. No, it's really tight. It's really tight. And you've got to remember. So I was so nervous, Mark. And I remember finally getting out there and I thought, God, this is your deal. Because if I make it through here, man, I'll tell you, you just had a miracle because I couldn't remember my last name a month ago. So I went out. I remembered everything. It was just like this. I wasn't even excited about me doing a TED Talk. I was excited that I remembered. I remembered what I wrote and I was able to share that because it was such a blessing for me to go through this challenging time and getting off this medication and then to be able to say, hey, I got my brain back got my memory back, and I can still be in service to people completely authentic. So that's what that TED Talk meant to me. Well, that's a big triumph, too. Yeah, completely. You have to go in and have to go in through that. Public speaking, anyhow, can be a very scary thing, right? Very. (laughs) And Yeah, Yeah. well, I've got one coming up next week. So it's about getting hyper-focused on exactly what you want to get out of it from a beginning, middle, and end. And then having those words magically come out of your mouth in the right way. And that would be scary if you had gone through this, as you described, kind of a fog. And emerging out of that, are the words going to come out in the right way? Right. And and in this case, down to that 18th minute, you're done. You're off. And trusting your process. That's what it was in the big picture. It was trusting the journey you're on. Again, the universe conspires for us. doesn't conspire against us. The universe conspires for us. And it's just what you choose that you want to believe. What is the belief? I could have gone in there and said, there's no way I could do this. Are you kidding? I just got off sleeping pills. There's no way. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put myself out there. But I had to have a leap of faith. And I'm that personality anyway. So I like challenges. And it was almost a challenge to God, to spirit, to say, all right, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to put myself out there and do the work. And I'm hoping that I get some kind of positive results that I can apply back to my life. And one of those things, I love my memory back. I would love to have that as a gift. And I felt like it's almost a present. It's like I was willing to do the work. And because I was willing to do the work for myself, then I got blessed. Then it was like the universe said, here you go. Well done. We've got you. And that meant everything to me because I apply it in other areas in my life. Yeah. Well, I've said clear mind, full heart. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it has to be that way. At least has to be that way if you want to lead a very purposeful life and driven with doing the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So where can people find you? (laughs) 
I've got my website, it's perryjonesgrossman.com. Okay. And I have a business phone. People can text me if they want to work with me, or if they want to just get information on things that we talked about. The phone number that they can text on is 208-720-7725. Okay. And we will put those in the show notes, so that will be noted. Great. I've got to tell you, I'm very grateful for you coming and sharing your brave story, your bright light, and you're very soulful. And I know it's not easy to stand up and expose yourself like that, but I think through that makes you a greater person to me, and and it really exudes a lot of strength. So I congratulate you, you, and I really appreciate and feel honored that you come on this podcast. Oh, Mark, thank you. Thanks for letting my voice come forward. As I said, if it helps people, one person, it's worth it. And that's the thing too. I always tell my clients, it's like nobody is better than the other. If we share from our vulnerabilities and we learn from our weaknesses, our challenges, that's how we grow. That's how we connect. If everybody came out and said, oh my God, I'm so perfect and I'm this, which is always BS anyway, right? But if we connect from our vulnerabilities, then that's where the true magic happens for all of us. We learn from one another. Love it. Love it. Love it. Hey, and thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Summit podcast. We are so glad to have you along for this journey. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend, share it on iTunes, spread it to the planet. We're looking to broadcast this to every person that is out there because, as you know, everybody has their own summit that they're going after. If you're looking to follow my journey, you can find that through my social links on markpattisonnfl.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-K, Patterson, P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N, NFL.com. So until the next podcast, just remember, clear eyes, full hearts, and remember, it takes a little more to make a champion, so make it happen. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.